Okay, so let's get into today's message. Um, for June, we're going to be starting this new series on justice, okay, on justice. And I think I mentioned to uh, you all um, a few months ago that I was in this class for pastors who want to become chaplains, right, who want to serve in a clinical setting. And this class is called CPE, okay, uh, Clinical Pastoral Education. And a lot of this class is about uh, introspection, reflection, and becoming more and more like self-aware, right? And one of the things that my educator would say to me time and time again is to pay attention to what you're feeling, okay? Because our emotions are flags to a greater desire, right? My educator would say this to me all the time, right? Pay attention to your feelings, pay attention to your emotions, because our emotions are flags to a greater desire, to something bigger that's happening within you, right? So if I'm with a patient, and this patient is talking about uh, how she is with an abusive husband, right? And uh, the things that this abusive husband does to her, and I have to pay attention to what I'm feeling, right? And typically in a setting like that, well, that's actually like a real conversation that I've had with a patient, right? Uh, when a patient would share these things with me, I would feel angry, right? I would feel really, really upset, right? And like, and I barely know this person. So it's not necessarily that I'm upset for her, okay? Which I am, right? But the there's a bigger reason why I'm upset, why I'm kind of, taking this personally, right? It, she's married to a partner who's abusive. So then why, do, why am I taking it so personally, right? So I have to pay attention to this emotion of anger, right? And as I'm, in, when I'm with a patient at the hospital and she is sharing these things with me, I'm trying to be present with her, but at the same time, internally, there's a lot of stuff going on and I have to reflect on like, okay, why am I feeling angry? Why am I taking this so personally? While at the same time, not forgetting that there's this other person here, right? So there's kind of, so on the outside, <laughs> I'm, I'm like just listening, right? Paying attention, but internally, there's like so much going on, right? Up here and in here. And as I'm feeling these things, as I'm experiencing these things, I have to ask myself, why am I so angry? What's going on? And what is this emotion pointing to, right? There, so our emotions are flags, are kind of like signposts to something greater that's happening within me. And the reason why in this example, uh, it was, I was taking it so personally is because I was remembering my dad, right? I was remembering my dad and how when he would get drunk, right? When he would lose control, he would be abusive to my mom, right? Where I actually saw some physical violence happening or he would be abusive to me. Right. And I remember these things. Right. And, and things would, would get violent. Right. And so it, it and it took me like several minutes for me to piece that together. Right. As she is sharing with me about her abusive husband, I'm feeling anger, anger. Right. And I'm feeling I'm defensive and I'm uh, taking it personally. And as she's talking, I'm kind of putting the pieces together and I'm realizing, oh, I'm taking this personally because I'm I'm reminded of how I was abused. I'm reminded of how my mom was abused. And when I'm able to like put that together, right? I, um, my anger kind of subsides a little bit and I'm able to transform that anger into empathy. And I empathize with her, 
And even though I don't know what it's like to be married to an abusive partner, uh, I know that feeling, right? And so I'm able to reflect to her, that must make you feel really angry. And she would say, it does. I'm so effing pissed, right? And she's not able to articulate that until I said it, right? So when we are feeling things, right, um, pay attention to it, right? Because our emotions are flags, signposts to something greater that's happening within you. And I don't know about you, but this past month with the shooting in Buffalo, with the shooting in Dallas, with the shooting in Laguna, and you know, most recently with the shooting in Uvalde, Texas at Robb Elementary School, I was feeling angry. I was feeling really angry, right? And I was also feeling sad for this world that uh, we're living in, right? And I was also feeling scared, right? And as I'm processing these three emotions, these three big emotions, within me, uh, which I'm sure many of us and many people in America are feeling as well, right? I have to ask myself, like, why am I feeling this way, right? Well, the anger comes from my indignation, my anger towards our government, that they haven't been doing anything for the past several years on uh, banning guns uh, more strictly, or um, especially automatic rifles. And um, not even having some sort of like licensing process to purchase guns, okay? And that's, so my anger is directed towards government. Uh, and why am I feeling sad? I'm feeling sad because of this world that my kids are growing up in. I mean, a couple of the victims in Rob Elementary School were my daughter's age, right? And that just breaks my heart, right? And I'm thinking about the parents, right? Of these 11 year old kids, I'm like, I can't even imagine what they're going through. And I'm also scared, right? With all of these shootings that have been happening, like we're not safe in grocery stores, which was in Buffalo, right? We're not safe in schools, obviously, like our kids aren't safe in schools. And then even church, <laughs> the shooting in Laguna was in a freaking church, right? We're not safe anywhere. And so I'm scared, right? And so all of these feelings are pointing to this greater desire that I have that I think everyone has within them, which is this deep desire for justice. That's what we all want. That's what we all long for. And this is like a really, really deep desire that every one of us has, right? Every one of us has. And so Today, the passage that we're going to look at is not a typical passage that many Christians would turn to regarding justice because uh, it's difficult, okay? Uh, for individuals, it's difficult for us to read, okay? But we're going to read it. So the passage for today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, verses 10 through 17. And I have it written down here on my page, but it's also up there. Um, and for those of you who are watching online, either live or recorded, this might be a little hard to read. So just follow along as I share this with you all. Isaiah 1, uh, verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God you people of Gomorrah. 
the multitude of your sacrifices. What are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Let us pray. Lord, as we uh, look at this difficult passage on justice, help us to take not only an honest, hard look at the world, but help us also to take uh, an honest, hard look at ourselves. It is so easy to point the finger at everyone else while ignore the indifference and lack of justice work that we are doing in our own lives. So would you help us to, um, again, take a long, hard look at ourselves as well as the society around us and to begin the work of justice that you have called us to do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. So today we are looking at the book of Isaiah. Okay. Um, now, Isaiah is uh, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, or as the Jews would call the Tanakh. And the reason why he's called a major prophet is because his book is really, really big. Okay. It's probably the biggest uh, book. Uh, it, it is the biggest book uh, for the prophets in the entire Old Testament. Okay. The only other book that like compares to Isaiah is the book of Jeremiah. Okay. And Isaiah has like 66 chapters. All right. Now in the beginning of Isaiah uh, chapter one, it talks about all these different Kings that uh, Isaiah uh, served under. Okay. Uh, kings like J Jotham, Uzziah, and others, okay? And the first king that uh, was reigning when the prophet Isaiah was the prophet over the people of Israel was the king Uzziah. And Uzziah was a very good king, right? He was a very good king. But the problem is um, the people, the Israelites, were not very good people. Uzziah was a very good king militarily, politically, and even religiously. He was a very, very devout, faithful Jew, 
and he would keep all the commandments as best as he could. And he would uh, keep the Sabbaths and he would encourage the people of uh, Israel to uh, celebrate all of these festivals. The problem was the people of the, uh, the Israel were not keeping all the commandments. They would be happy to celebrate these like new moon festivals and they would be very strict about keeping the Sabbath and they would make all of these sacrifices, but they would not love those who were neglected. They would not care for those who were the most neglected in their uh, community, which is why God said uh, through the prophet Isaiah, uh, your, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. <laughs> God goes so far to say uh, through the prophet Isaiah in verse 14, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate. He uses the word hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And the reason why he says he takes no pleasure in their sacrifices, their animal sacrifices, in their offerings, and their celebrations, and their festivals is because they are not living the life that God desired for them to live, okay? Uh, pointedly, a life of justice. They would neglect the widow, okay? They would ignore the orphans in their communities. They would not take care of the poor. They would not treat the needs of the needy, but they were really good at celebrating parties. <laughs> They're really great at like sacrificing these like juicy fattened animals, but they were terrible at caring for those who needed the most help. And so this anger that coming, that's coming from God, right? Uh, Where's this coming from, right? Uh, like, like we shared in the beginning, our emotions are flags to a greater desire. And this emotion of anger that's coming from God to his people is desire from God for justice, right? It's desire from God for justice. And justice is actually something that's given to us by God, okay? And this is the first uh, thing that we can learn from this passage is that justice is a God-given desire. And this is for every single human being, okay? Justice is a God-given desire, not just for Christians, okay? Because every human being is made in the image or the likeness of God. And God desires justice. God is a God of justice, right? We sang today, right? God is a God of justice, mercy, and love. So whether they are Christian or not, every human being has this desire for justice. Now, some are more attuned to this desire for justice than others. Some are able to articulate it better, right? Some are more passionate about justice than other people are. But every human being, I truly believe this, has this innate desire for justice. But the problem is we all kind of have our own set of rituals, routines, and patterns in our lives that have made it easy for us to ignore this desire. And I'm not just talking about Christians, okay? Yes, definitely like religious people, it is easy for us to fall into this rut of routine where 
uh, we go to church every week, right? And uh, we say our prayers. Um, Jews go to temple every Saturday, right? They say their prayers and they say their like uh, Hebrew prayers and, and mantras, right? Catholics go to mass, right? And they do the Hail Marys, you know, and they do this and um, it's, a, it's a routine, right? And you go through these routines enough uh, it's kind of easy for us to ignore that deep desire within. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but even like hearing these sermons for a lot of people, right? Even hearing these sermons, like sermons like these for a lot of people, it's like you're kind of in autopilot mode <laughs> where you just kind of go through these routines, right? You live your life, right? You just kind of ignore this desire for uh, justice and you just live selfishly, lavishly, ignoring the needs of people with, uh, around you. Maybe um, get tossed on Saturday night, right? Uh, get blackout drunk and then you go to church, you hear a sermon and then you feel great, <laughs> right? A lot of people go through this routine. And the problem with that is that it kind of numbs you to the pain that's happening around you. So the Jews in Isaiah chapter one that we just read, they are very good at this routine. And because they're in this rut, this pattern, this routine that they've practiced for years and years and years, it's become so easy for them to ignore the orphan. It's become so easy for them to literally turn a blind eye to the widow, to the poor, to the needy. Eventually, everyone creates these certain rituals, patterns, or routines in life, and they put us in a sort of a, a silo, right? And, and this happens, this probably happens way more during COVID than any other time in like recent history. We're literally all siloed, right? You just stay in your homes, scroll through social media, right? and you're like going crazy, right? And you're just kind of going through this routine where you log into work from home probably, and you do your thing. Maybe you go for a walk around your neighborhood, neighborhood and then you just eat and go to sleep, right? And you go through this routine. And then eventually after a while, you're like, huh, there's actually like people who are homeless during COVID, <laughs> right? There's actually still orphans out there, right? And there's actually like, hungry people. And I don't know about you, but for me, like, I even kind of forgot that there's a war going on right now in Ukraine. Do you guys remember that? Like, <laughs> it's still happening. But for some reason, we got so stuck in the routine of life that we kind of forgot about all that crap. And that, that's kind of the danger of routine. And we have to remember that we still have this, like, deep desire for justice, and we cannot ignore it. We should not ignore it. And the big difference between uh, this desire for justice with all human beings and a Christian's desire for justice is that we have to be honest with ourselves and confess and admit that justice begins with me. Justice begins with me. This is a key difference between a Christian's desire for justice and non-Christian's desire for justice, right? Because the core of the gospel, okay, what we believe, okay, if we are people of faith, right? The core of the gospel is that I am a sinner, right? 
And no matter how hard I try, I cannot save myself. That's why I need God. This is why God sent Jesus Christ to come down, to live a perfect life, to die the death that I should have died and resurrect so that I could live a new life, right? But it has to begin with the confession that I am a sinner. This is the core, the beginning of the gospel, right? And so this totally applies to justice. Justice begins with me. Christians are supposed to have an even deeper desire for justice because we are called to, to carry out God's justice in the world. But this is a lot easier said than done because justice, the work of justice actually has to cost you something. The work of justice actually has to cost you something. I remember about a year ago, and sometimes like people think like liking something on social media or like sharing a post is doing justice work. I mean, most of the time it's not, <laughs> but sometimes it could be, right? If it actually does cost you something or if there is a risk to you. Uh, maybe you have a lot of cop friends, police officer friends, right? And then you share a post that might criticize the police, right? Like a lot of people were doing in about Uvalde, right? There were like so many cops that were standing outside Rob Elementary School when that shooter was in there, right? And so a lot of people were like criticizing cops in Uvalde, like what the heck were they doing? Um, that might risk some friendships, right? Um, I remember about a year ago <laughs> uh, on social media, on Instagram, I, sh I followed this uh, Instagram account called Black Liturgies, right? Uh, do we have that picture? Is that on here? No? Oh, there it is. Yeah. So this is a Palm Sunday from last year. Okay. And um, black, it's this, you know, uh, black woman who like writes her own prayers and she like shares them. And I, I really love it. Right. Um, and on this particular Palm Sunday, she talks about how uh, she doesn't want to conform to white savior complex, right? To change the way she is to make her white friends or colleagues feel more comfortable, right? And um, I thought this was a pretty benign prayer, right? But one of my white friends who saw this post, he got super pissed, right? He said, not this ish again on Instagram. He messaged me on Instagram and I'm like, uh, ha ha, very funny. He's like, I'm, I'm being serious, right? And I was like, oh, um, okay, what's wrong with this post, right? He's like, so many of your posts are about like down with the white man, Al. I'm like, really? Like, I, that's totally not how I read it, but you know, he's a white man. So like, that's how he read it, right? And so, um, oh, which is totally funny because my, you know, this is from my account, right? Uh, you see McBethany, that's my friend who's very white. She's very white, okay? And she like liked this post. So I was like, I don't think that's how uh, white people <laughs> are supposed to be interpreting this. But, and um, so anyways, I take this conversation to text, right? I'm like, okay, I don't wanna message back and forth on Instagram about this, so I text him. And he's just really angry, right? And, I'm, and I call him. I'm like, oh, dude, this is like, he's he like really upset. So I call him, he doesn't pick up. I'm like, and then I text him, I'm like, hey, sorry if I offended you, but I totally 
think you might be overreacting. Um, and he doesn't reply. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? And uh, two hours pass by and uh, he apologizes, right? He's like, he said some other stuff that I, I'm not allowed to repeat here. <laughs> uh, he apologized for his like reaction. Um, I'm like, okay, well, it's, it's all right, you know, and I'm sorry if that post offended you, you know. Um, so like two weeks go by and I haven't seen any posts from him in a long time, right? So I look him up and this fool blocked me. This fool blocked me on Instagram, right? And this is like, he, he was like really close. Like he invited me to his like vacation home in Bass Lake, like multiple times, me and my family and like, uh, my kids and his kids are like friends and they go to the same school. And I'm like, what the heck? He blocked me. I was trying, trying to get some more information on this. And um, his wife told me that after I shared this post and then we were having this like conversation on uh, text um, that she saw that he was upset. And then uh, she asked to see the text and she got really mad at him and told him that he was overreacting and that he needs to apologize. And so that's why so they had this big fight, right? And that's why he wasn't responding to me for like a couple of hours. <laughs> and so uh, he just blocked me. So I literally lost a friend because of this post. I was like, oh, I guess sharing stuff on social media does have risks. <laughs> so I was like shocked, right? Um, Anyways, so I don't know why I share this is because and I think the reason why I wanted to share this with you all is because like it, it's a reminder to me that the work of justice does need to cost us something. It might cost you relationships, right? It might cost you being criticized. It might cost you money, right? Energy, time. The work of justice actually needs to cost you something. If it doesn't cost you anything, then you have to ask yourself, am I really doing the work of justice, right? If you're just liking posts, right? If you're just on social media and you're just liking posts and like uh, there's no risk to you whatsoever, is that really doing justice work? You know, is it gonna cost you anything? And it's so much easier to point the finger at other people and totally ignore uh, the lack of justice work that you yourself are doing. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, uh, these, these are the words of Jesus. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure that you use. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. Okay, these are the words of Jesus, okay? And he says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. When we do not begin with ourselves in this work of justice, we could, we could become blind, right? We could become blind to how the world really is and how we truly think of ourselves, 
right? We might think of ourselves as these great people who never do no wrong. Everything we do is just, <laughs> and it's the world, right? It's everyone else that's the problem, right? But if we really want to do the work of justice, it has to begin with ourselves. And lastly, um, well, what, was there any other picture with this? No, I think that was it, right? Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yes, I wanted to show this picture. Um, this is a poster um, chalkboard that is in a blackboard. That's the word I was thinking for. Uh, that's in the ICU uh, department in the hospital where I work at Adventist Health. Uh, Florence Nightingale, does everyone know who Florence Nightingale is? She's awesome, okay? She's like, she totally changed how hospital systems work, okay? And she is a strong woman of faith. And she says, let us never consider ourselves finished, nurses. We must be learning all of our lives. I love this quote, right? We're never done, okay? And this is what connects point two to point three, which is that justice work never ends. That's kind of the bad news is that the work of justice never ends. There is no ending to justice, okay? Until we're dead <laughs> and we're in heaven. There should never be a point in our lives when we think to ourselves, I'm done, I've made it, I've become the person that God wanted me to be, right? Or I'm done doing the work of justice. This world is finally <laughs> at a good place and I don't need to do any more. The moment that we think that to ourselves or about ourselves or about the world that we live in, then it's the moment that you stop growing as a human being, right? It's the moment that you stop growing as a human being. The moment we say or feel this way is the moment we stop maturing and developing. This is why in verse 17 of today's passage, uh, God, through the prophet Isaiah, tells his people, Learn to do right. Desire justice. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Learn to do right. And the form of this verb, learn to do right, it's um, present perfect, meaning like it, took, it takes place in the past, but it's ongoing. Okay? Learn and keep learning to do right. Keep seeking to do justice. And there is, and in verse 17, the examples that God gives through the prophet Isaiah is to defend the oppressed, take out the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. God is talking to people who are very privileged, right? And so when he's saying defend the oppressed, uh, take up the cause of the father, the orphans, right? And plead the case of the widow, women. He is telling these privileged Jewish men to think outside of yourselves, okay? Help those whom you cannot benefit from because justice is not about you. Justice is about helping others. Now, the moment that justice becomes about you and satisfying your needs, it's no longer justice, it probably is more like vengeance. And there is a huge difference between vengeance and justice. Vengeance is all about what's best for me. 
Justice is all about what's best for my neighbor or for society at large. When we think about vengeance, okay, um, we typically want to go beyond uh, the harm that was done to us, right? Like for example, perfect example, which none of you can probably relate to is road rage. Um, once in a while, I'll get road rage, I'm driving on the freeway, dum -de dum right? Listening to gospel music and praying. And, <laughs> and then some jerk cuts me off, right? On the freeway, I'm like, how dare you? I was praying and I was listening to gospel music. And the things that I want to do to this person are way worse than what this person did to me, right? I want this person who cut me off to get into a car accident, right? I want their car to flip over, <laughs> right? I want this person to get hurt. Like that's vengeance, okay? That's vengeance. And that's more about like, what's gonna, what's gonna satisfy me? And what satisfy me, what's gonna satisfy me is very subjective and is relative, right? It's just to me, all right? What's gonna please me? But justice is about what's best for my neighbor who's in need or society as a whole. And oftentimes vengeance is coming from a place of uh, hatred, right? Whereas justice is coming from a place of love, right? That's really, right? If it really, you don't know the difference between vengeance and justice, you have to ask yourself like, is this desire for what I want coming from a place of hate? Or is it coming from a place of love? Because vengeance is coming from hate, right? Vengeance is coming from hate, but love, uh, justice is coming from love. Now, both hatred and love can demand anger, okay? Anger, at first I thought like vengeance is coming from anger, but that's not always, like justice can come from anger too, right? If you love somebody, right? Sometimes there is like healthy anger that can happen, right? If you're a parent and someone like, hurts your child, you're supposed to get angry, <laughs> okay? That's normal, right? And that's healthy, right? Um, so it's not necessarily like vengeance comes from anger because uh, love, angry love can also lead to justice, right? So really vengeance, the root of vengeance comes from hatred and the root of justice has to come from love and the work of justice never ends. Um, there's one more picture I wanted to share, which I guess it's one picture that's divided up into two. Okay. Um, I found this great imagery, a simple imagery that I found, um, the scale of justice. Okay. So it first begins with inequality, which come on, that totally sucks. This is based on the book. You guys all know the book giving tree, right? Which that book is so sad. I feel so bad for the tree. And you, you notice like at the end of the book, when the boy, Spoiler for anyone who hasn't read the book. <laughs> um, turns into the old man and uh, the tree is just left as a stump, right? Did you notice that the, in the end of the book, the old man is called the boy and the boy was happy? So the, it's, it's really sad because the boy never really grew up and matured. Anyways, that's kind of besides the point. Um, so taking this imagery of the giving tree, right? This is what inequality looks like and the other kid is kind of screwed. Um, it's probably hard to read because it's like green text on a green background. Inequality is unequal access to opportunities. And then equality with a question mark, 
uh, is evenly distributed tools and assistance. But in many situations, some people have uh, an advantage. It's like they have a head start, right? And certain opportunities lean towards certain people's benefit, right? Um, you see on the right side of that tree, it's kind of empty too, right? But they have the same size ladder. Uh, and this is what equity looks like. Custom tools that identify and address inequality, which is great, right? But still, there's less fruit on the right side of the tree, and uh, it still doesn't seem right. And justice is fixing the system, fixing a broken system to offer equal access to both tools and opportunities. And this is something that most Americans want right now with regards to uh, gun control, right? We wanna fix the system. There's definitely something wrong. There's definitely something broken with this system, right? And it seems like right now we're in maybe equality, uh, but it doesn't feel right at all, right? So what most people desire right now is justice, right? Fixing this broken system. And ultimately, the takeaway for all of us ultimately is that justice begins with me. Justice begins with me. And for us, I want to leave us with this wonderful quote from the great father, Richard Rohr. It's in your bulletins. Um, we do not think ourselves into new ways of being. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being honest. Uh, almost to the point of being blunt, where you not only demand justice in our society, you Lord, you demand justice for us individually. It's not because you're being hard on us, it's because you love us. You don't simply want us to be people who are quote unquote saved. You want us to be a people who desire and actively are working for justice in this world. We thank you that you have given every single human being that desire for justice. And for us as your people, help us to begin with ourselves and help us to know and learn that the work of justice never ends that this is a lifelong battle and we should never expect it to end. And that's part and parcel of what you have called us to be, is to be a people of justice. I know it is a huge task and help us to remember that this is a marathon, not a sprint, and to just take it one day at a time. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have a blessed week.